before the episode starts, because this episode is about STIs, and I'll be monologuing the whole time, I should tell you that I, Georgie Corkery, am not a doctor. I just have opinions and a podcast. Also, at some point in the podcast, I do say, I was sitting in my seat. And what I meant to say is, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. You'll get it once you get to that point in the podcast. So, here we go. episode 21 of Long Hair Do Care. This is a podcast about queer intersectional eco-feminist topics or topics related to that. Over time, it's been a little tangential, and I think it will become increasingly more tangential as we go because there are just so many topics that I want to talk about. I am your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, her, hers, but leaning more and more towards they, them, because I can, and I like it. And some people have been calling me they, them more often, and they've been calling me George, and it makes me feel exciting. So if anybody relates to that, high five. This is my January episode, so I'll be talking about what happened in December a little bit. And the topic today is STIs and stigmas. And there is no special guest today. It's just going to be me monologuing, which my first four episodes were monologues. And at first they made me feel cringy. They made me cringe. But uh, I listened back to them and they weren't so bad. So this one can't be that bad. So buckle in. You get to listen to me talk to myself, a.k.a. also you. And I'm excited about it. The reason why I wanted to do this one alone is because I'm going to talk about a personal experience of mine uh, getting STI tested at Utah State University's wellness clinic or STI clinic. So I'm really excited to talk about that experience and dispel stigmas that are around STIs. I'm telling you what I'm most excited to talk about because that's a question that I'll be asking my guests from now on at the top of the hour. I realized in my past episodes, I would have guests on and I just introduce them and then we would jump right into the things I talk about at the top of the episode, which are the cats I've interacted with and that my guests have interacted with the past week or month or whatever weird time frame I come up with. The wildlife that we've seen, which I think is quite exciting. I like that element. Granted, I haven't been seeing that much wildlife, unfortunately. And then the Teslas I count, which I will go over, um, I won't be doing moving forward anymore um, for reasons that I will explain once we get there. And then conscious content consumption, which if you've listened to my podcast episodes, you know that I do this because I think it is important what we're consuming. It totally shapes our world. And if we're consuming any number of things, we absorb it and we relate to it. I've run into the issue lately of having a lot of people close to me feeling really uncomfortable with what they look like and questioning what they look like and tying their self-worth to that, and it's really hard for me to watch. We all struggle with how we look because of the way media portrays 
what we should look like, that we should be thin, that we should be body normative and all these things. I just want people to change the media that they're consuming or accept themselves and love themselves. And that's a whole episode in and of themselves. But for any of my friends that are listening, know that I love you and that you are sexy as long as you feel sexy, as long as you decide you want to be sexy. If you don't want to be sexy, then, you know, no problem. Don't be sexy. But... It's not about what you look like. It's about how you feel and who you are. You have control over your body and don't let the damn media control what you think you should be and consume content consciously. So I'm going to get off of my pedestal now and dive right into the top of the hour stuff that I just listed off that I go into every episode. Sorry, I'm being a little repetitive, but deal with it. The cats that I interacted with in December were, well, just one, was Captain Hammy. And Captain Hammy, I've mentioned before, he's very cute. I saw him try to eat popcorn, and it was great. I don't know what kind of cat he is. He's my friend Nick's cat. Shout out to you, Nick. I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but your cat's been included in it. Captain Hammy just, his face is really smushed in, like his nose is flush with his eyes, and so is his mouth, and he has a really small mouth, so watching him eat popcorn was really cute. I will try to post a picture on my Instagram. I'm trying to be good at that, but I'm not great at Instagram, so look out for that. Follow me on Instagram at Podcast. It'll send me endorphins that I don't need, speaking of conscious content. The wildlife I saw in December was sparse. It was deer, it was a few birds, no birds of note. And I say that reluctantly, mostly because I am not a great birder, even though I love birds and I love birders, and that's actually what I'm doing my thesis work on as a grad student. So I feel guilt in not being better at that, but whatever. I saw some mountain chickadees and a junco with my friend Ronan. So there we go. That's my wildlife. And now, here we are, coming to Teslas, and I need to say, I do really enjoy counting Teslas, and I do like the way that they look. I did have a count for December. It was very low. It may or may not have been 74, but I no longer want to include this as part of my podcast because I don't want to promote Elon Musk in any way. And no one has said it outright to me, but I've definitely seen it in some people's eyes of like, why the fuck are you talking about Teslas? And yeah, I don't want to do it anymore because I don't think Elon Musk is a good person. I'm not going to get into it very much. I did Google it and there's a lot of people who just hate him and there are so many articles about why he's bad. I'm going to just review a few things and leave it at that. Again, I do love Teslas. I do enjoy counting them, but it just won't be part of the podcast anymore. But I'll still have my clicker and I might just do it for myself, but I won't bring it up here on out. Well, maybe I will, but We'll see. Some of the reasons why Elon Musk is not a great guy is uh, he insults others regularly. He spreads fake information. He refuses to investigate worker complaints and fires those who are upset about working conditions. He attacks the press for investigating in his company, has regularly taken credit for others' work. And the thing that I 
just can't get behind is that he has this disdain for public transportation. Public transportation should be the solution moving forward instead of these very wealthy electric cars that only some can afford that doesn't solve our issues and maybe it causes more issues. I do think electric cars are great, but public transportation is also great, and together those things can solve some of our environmental problems. I agree with what Bernie Sanders said on Twitter on March 18th, 2021, quote, We are in a moment in America, in American history, where two guys, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, own more wealth than the bottom 40% of people in this country, this country being the United States. That level of greed and equality is not only immoral, it is unsustainable. Well said, Bernie. I just, I adore you. Good job. The last thing I'll say about Elon Musk is something that ties directly into my conscious content consumption, and that is he accused a British diver of being a pedophile. This diver was involved in the rescue of 12 Thai boys they were all on a soccer team, and their coach, who were trapped in a cave system, the Tham Lung Cave System. It was a really big rescue. You might have remembered it being in the news. And the reason why he <laughs> accused this British diver of being a pedophile is because the diver was shitting on Elon Musk's quote-unquote contribution to the rescue. Elon Musk was like, I'm going to make a submarine and save all these boys. And it was just to sensationalize him and get more media attention and seem like a superhero, like a modern day Batman superhero. And he is, he's simply not, there's no way that he could have created a submarine to go in and save those boys. So it was just a false claim. And, and that's that. I will Stop talking about Elon Musk and dive right into my conscious content consumption. I have chosen to talk about the movie The Rescue. Speaking of those 12 boys and their soccer coach, The Rescue is a National Geographic documentary film that was released on October 8, 2001. The film chronicles, quote, the enthralling against all odds story that transfixed the world in 2018. The daring rescue of 12 boys and their coach from deep inside a cave flooded in northern Thailand, unquote. There is a wealth of never-before-seen material and exclusive interviews with the people involved in the rescue, and it pieces together the high-stakes mission in chronological order, highlighting the efforts of the Royal Thai Navy SEALs and the U.S. Air Force Special Tactics and details the expert cave divers' audacious venture into the caves to save those boys. The film brings alive one of the most perilous and extraordinary rescues in modern times, and I have to say, while I watched it, I was completely on my seat. I was super anxious. I didn't remember how the story ended. I vaguely heard it in the news. For some reason, it I wasn't, I don't know, paying attention to the story when it was breaking live. So when I watched it, I was just like, oh my goodness, how is this going to end? So if you don't know how it ends, or if, even if you do know how it ends, it is absolutely worth watching. It is extraordinary what these people did. The film was directed by Academy Award winning directors and producers Ichai Vassarcelli. Oh, I butchered it. I'm so sorry, you 
award-winning producer. And then Jimmy Chin. And Jimmy Chin is also known for his work on Free Solo, which also came out in 2018, and Maru, which came out in 2015. He has some pretty cool stuff under his belt. This movie is rated PG, but I would have a hell of a hard time watching this as a kid. I had a hard time watching it as an adult. Um, and it is available on Disney+. Plus. Again, whether or not you know the story and you know how it ends, you should totally watch this film. It, it was incredible. It highlights athletic feats and just what we can do <laughs> to save people. My only critique is I think about all of the resources that went into saving these 13 people. If you watch it, you'll, you know, the amount of money, the amount of time that went into saving these kids. Oh, man, I, I think about groups of people that die every day, whether they're crossing the border to <laughs> escape political tensions or potential violence. I think about the climate catastrophe that we are all facing, as sex trafficking, human trafficking, if we put <laughs> the same amount of resources that went into saving these 13 people, like, what could we do? And this highlights that if something isn't an immediate pressing problem, for some reason, we as a society or maybe as governmental entities don't feel the need to take action. And I think there are a lot of things that we need to take action on that are not necessarily visible every day that aren't exactly pressing, even though the climate crisis and human trafficking, I think, are very pressing. We we could take more action. So that's my two cents on that. Again, watch the film. It's available on Disney+, and I think you'll like it. Let's jump into the topic today, which is STIs and stigmas. Again, the reason why I'm doing this episode alone and wanting to talk about this is I had quite the experience at Utah State University's STI testing center and it wasn't horrible. I wasn't offended, but that's because I maybe maybe I would be offended 5 years ago <laughs> a different person, but I just I wanted to share it with you and then talk about stigmas themselves and I was hoping down the line to have a medical professional come on and talk about STIs, and I still might have that, but I'll review a few myths and facts about STIs and stigmas after I share my experience. So I'm going to share with you my experience of getting STI tested at Utah State University's STI clinic. I'll also share with you a story that happened on the same day of my friend who got STI tested just to show some parallels and maybe some holes in their system. So my experience was I called beforehand to schedule a test and I did ask them if I would be able to know the cost of the STI tests and what STI tests I could take when I get there. And they basically said they'll square that all away once I arrive. Scheduled my appointment went in for my appointment, and per usual, before they do the testing, they ask you a few questions. Two of the questions I don't think were necessary, and I don't think should be asked by medical professionals in this setting. The first one was, how many people have you slept with in the last six to 12 months? And that, to me, one, could 
vary depending on who you are. And two, that's not pertinent. If you know that you've had a new sexual partner or that you've had an outbreak, that information seems more important. So that question in and of itself, not super necessary, doesn't really help the doctor assess whether or not you are at greater risk for an STI and therefore if you need additional tests. Plus, the doctor should just ask you what tests you want, and I'll get more into that later. But the second question, which I am not okay with and is what prompted me to do this podcast episode, honestly, is the doctor, she asked me how many people I've slept with in my whole life. She wanted my life count. That simply is not necessary. I have lots of thoughts and feelings. My first reaction, emotional reaction, might have been uh, anger. <laughs> it might have been a number of negative emotions, but where I sit with that now is just that that is unnecessary. If I were a different person, I might feel embarrassed. I might not want to share those things. And like I have said <laughs> a few times now, sorry for being repetitive, is that that is just not a necessary question to understand what my STI status is now, what my sexual health is now. And I've thought a lot about how to approach what I'm about to say, but I have a feeling that that question is on that sheet of questions that my doctor asked me because potentially the person in charge of developing those questions might not have a great understanding of what the average adult's sexual life looks like. I say that because Utah has a pretty predominant religion and is a very conservative state. The predominant religion here, if you're listening, you know it's the Church of Latter-day Saints, aka Mormons, the Mormon religion. They just approach sex differently and church and state might not be totally separate in this state. I am trying to say this carefully, but if you live here, you know, and if you don't live here, you probably still know. And to hear a question like that in a medical professional setting where I am the patient and I want to feel safe, especially because I'm about to expose my vagina so that they can test me. I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. And that question does make people feel judged and uncomfortable. Luckily, I think I'm past that point, but other people, not so much. So I'm upset that that question was asked. The rest of my appointment was totally fine, totally normal. I got my testing and that was great. But now I do want to talk to you about my friend who also got tested. They went in the same day and went in. They said that they were not asked either of those questions. The how many people have you been with in the last six to 12 months or how many people have you slept with in total, which is interesting. And I think that's because they appear to be the opposite gender as me. I say appear because I appear female and that person appears male. So I'm wondering how much that comes into play, but I honestly have no idea. I have no idea why they would make that decision, but it, it seems unusual that there was different protocols there. And then this is a direct quote from what my friend said, and I think it's kind of hilarious, um, but it's also like <laughs> probably not how things should go. And that is that the doctor shined a light on his mouth, in his mouth, and on his dick, and told him he was good, <laughs> which is, um, not great. And of course, my friend 
asked, uh, what tests can you run on me besides the flashlight test? He didn't say that part, but I'm sure that's what he was thinking. What tests can you do today? And the doctor said, go up front and see if you can order a panel test. We can't do a panel test today, which is really interesting because, again, that same day, I did get a full panel test, which was a blood draw. Not my favorite. I'll get into that a little bit more later. So my friend was like, okay, can I order one? And the doctor said, yes, order one up at the front desk. So my friend proceeds to go to the front desk and asks to order a full panel STI test. And they said, we're so sorry. Call on Monday to order a full panel STI test. It was Friday, which is ridiculous because that means my friend made an appointment to get STI tested, paid for an appointment to get STI tested, and literally was not tested for an STI, just the flashlight test, which really, we know, in this day and age, doesn't do much. All this is to say that the system that Utah State University, or USU, has set up for their STI testing seems to not be up to par. It could be better. And I think there are some problems here, but we need better healthcare than this. I would just like to say what I think providers should ask when you go in and you want to get tested. First of all, they should tell you beforehand whether or not you need to order tests if you make an appointment so that you don't end up like my friend who showed up, has to pay for being seen by a doctor and walking away without getting any STI tests. That's ridiculous. So on the phone, providers should tell you what they can do when you arrive and if you need to order anything and ask you if you would like to be STI tested for X, Y, or Z and put that in the doc. Second, I think it's great if providers tell you what puts you at a higher risk for STIs. They don't necessarily need to ask you questions, including how many people you've slept with or how many people you slept with since you were last STI tested, because again, not all STIs are transmitted sexually, but they should provide you a list of things that put you at higher risk so then you can make a more informed decision. They should ask you if you are aware of any STIs you have or have tested positive for in the past because, you know, if you have herpes, then they don't need to test you for herpes. That's already done. You know it. They ask you, you know, if you think you've been exposed, because if you think you've been exposed, then you're at higher risk and you should get tested. If you're showing symptoms, because that can more accurately help them help you figure out what tests you do need. Something I really wish that providers did was tell you how much each test is going to cost because not everybody is in a position to do a full panel test. I asked several times. I asked at the front desk. I asked when I was in with the doctor. I asked on the phone if they could provide information when I get there about how much it'll cost. And they said yes. And my questions were left unanswered. And I don't know what my bill's going to look like. And that makes me feel really uncomfortable. I wish they could be upfront about that. Because say if a syphilis test is $150 and I know the risks and I likely don't have that, then I might save myself $150 depending on my situation. It's just more informed consent which consent is really important. Lastly, 
they should ask you what tests you would like based on all the information that they've covered and that you've shared. Something I learned when I was Googling a little bit is that when you go in for an STI test, whether it's Planned Parenthood or an Instacare, most of the time they'll only test you for a handful of ones. And sometimes it's just two, gonorrhea and chlamydia, because you can just pee in a cup for that. And then they call it good and they tell you everything's clear. But obviously there are more than just those two. So I think that doctors should ask you what tests you would like and give you a list of the ones that are available. Again, with the price depending on your insurance, which maybe that's too complicated. Maybe that's too big of an ask, but I would really appreciate that. Those are my two cents on what providers should talk about when you go and see them. A lot of that was not discussed at my last STI test at Utah State University's Wellness Clinic, and I did feel really judged, which is not okay. So, boo. Two thumbs down, USU. Two thumbs down. I have a little more information that I would like to share generally on STIs and stigmas around them, so I'm just going to go through the list I have here. First, don't use the word clean when talking about your STI status. That implies that anybody who has an STI is dirty, which is demeaning, and that adds to the stigma. I see this most on dating apps, which, I don't know, I think I have thoughts on. If you have an STI, you're not dirty. You're just freaking human. You're part of the sexually active club. Instead of saying, I am clean, you can say, I am STI negative, or I am aware of my STI status, or I'm STI safe. Any of those are fine, but I guess safe is bad too, because then you could be STI unsafe. And if you have an STI, you can still have safe sex. So I take that part back, but let's use different language there. Not clean. <laughs> Don't use the word clean. There's one myth about STIs that is absolutely not true, which is that they are rare or they're uncommon. In the U.S. alone, one out of four teens will contract an STI every year, and half of the sexually active population will contract an STI by the age of 25. The CDC reports that most people will get at least one type of HPV in their lives. Several of those strains can cause genital warts or cervical cancer. Obviously, that's a good reason in and of itself to check to see if you have STIs, but you can prevent cervical cancer and you can control genital warts, so it does not have to be a bad thing. It is estimated that two-thirds of the global population under the age of 50 has HSV-1, which is one of two strands of herpes, and a lot of people think that HSV-1 is just oral herpes, and HSV-2 is genital herpes, and is quote-unquote worse. That is not true. You can have either HSV-1 or HSV-2 genitally, orally, or both, and you can have both strains. I do know that if you have HSV-2, sometimes the outbreaks can be a little more prominent, but if you have either HSV-1, HSV-2, aka herpes, or cold sores, you can have a perfectly safe, happy, healthy sexual life. There are plenty of people who have long-term partners who have herpes, and then they do not. So, you know, it, it's not the end of the world if you 
have that. Also, you can have an STI and not know it. This is extremely common because you don't always show symptoms. According to the World Health Organization, a majority of STIs have no symptoms or mild ones that aren't recognized as STIs. This is another reason why it's important to get tested because, you know, you can think that you don't have an STI and then, you know, have sex with somebody consensually, then spread it. And maybe that's not something that they consented to and they didn't know. And maybe they would have made a different decision otherwise. Something that I think is interesting, maybe troubling, is that less than one out of three physicians routinely screen for STIs. You are not automatically screened by your doctor, and if you're not offered and you want to be screened, you can ask. A lot of times it's covered in a normal physical check. So if I were you, and if you're sexually active, just ask every time you go and get your general physical. Also, coming back to this, an STI screening does not check for all STIs. They usually only check for gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV. It does not account for 27 other possible STIs. So you must ask for a comprehensive STI screening if you really want to know all the fun details. A more comprehensive STI screening does require a blood test. And oh my god, I... Oh, Oh, I just, I hate needles. I hate them so much. When I went this last time to get my STI test, I do what I usually do. And I told the doctor or nurse or whatever he was, please just talk to me while you do it. I might cry, but don't stop. And tell me about your favorite TV show. And he's like, cool, I can do that. Like, this is my job. I'm really good at my job. I know how to do that. And the moment he put the needle in me, he was like, so what are you studying? Because, you know, I'm a master's student and he assumed I was a student because I was at USU's wellness clinic. <laughs> and I just, I was like, uh, uh, um, uh, birds. And that's not true. I'm not, well, I, I'm studying like birders and that's part of my thesis. But anyways, <laughs> I, I gave him very specific instructions and he didn't follow them, which is okay point of the story is I do not like getting my blood drawn and you might not either, but it's worth it. So go ahead and do it. Something I've repeated a few times now is that STIs are not only transmitted through sexual activity. However, if you don't already know, which I certainly hope you do, if not, I'm very happy to share this with you now, sexual transmitted diseases can be passed through oral sex. They can be passed, you know, if you touch your junk and then you touch somebody else's junk, like, that can transmit it. That's not always the case, but do your research and find out what is and what is not safe. It can be also transmitted through things such as I think getting tattoos because there's needles or fresh tattoos, piercings, drug injections, mother to child when giving birth, and blood to blood contact. I'm not a doctor, so I might not have said all of that accurately. <laughs> now I want to get into stigmas. Stigmas cause fear. A lot of the time, people are more afraid of what other people will say or think of them if they have an STI, so they choose not to get tested, which is a real bummer. We should not judge anybody for having STIs. 
this also happens as a, role, a result of people believing that people who get infected with STIs are promiscuous, aka they have a lot of sexual partners, and that's not true. I have a friend who the first person that she had sexual activities with, they transmitted herpes to them, and that was their first sexual partner. It was, you know, first time. So it can it can really happen to anybody. And again, it can happen in non-sexual situations. So don't judge anybody who has an STI. It encourages slut-shaming, and this behavior makes women especially feel bad for enjoying sexual experiences and being free in the way that they dress and express themselves. It also, unfortunately, fuels rape culture and other behaviors that shaming comes with, and it oppresses women generally. So we really need to take a step back when we're thinking about this. At this point of the podcast, I would like to take an opportunity to be vulnerable and to normalize STIs by telling you that I myself have tested positive for two different STIs. The first one was HPV, and there are, I think, over 150 different types of HPV, and I ended up having the one that disappears after a year, so... That happens, but again, HPV can also result in cervical cancer or a number of other things. In in that regard, I was kind of lucky, but if you have the other types of HPV, you can still have a happy life. As I have mentioned before, I'm very repetitive on this podcast, but that's because I want you to know that if you have an STI, you're A-okay. The second STI that I tested positive for was herpes, and I thought a lot about sharing this whether or not I should share this on the podcast, because it's pretty vulnerable. But here I am. I have herpes. Luckily, I've had really supportive partners who are like, you know what, we can figure this out. And the way that I've moved forward with this and telling everybody and being really upfront, everyone's really appreciated. And I haven't passed it to any other partners. So if you have herpes... You don't have to feel stigmatized if you ever want to talk about it. <laughs> you can reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Long Hair Do Care Podcast. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, I will admit that when I found out, I had a bad emotional reaction. But like I said, everyone that I talked to and reached out to about it, they were all so supportive. Everyone was like, oh, I, I get that this feels bad to you, but you're fine. Everything's going to be fine. And honestly, the worst part about it was that I was not told by the person that I got it from that they had it. And that hurts more than anything because I would have done things differently. I don't know. Either way, it hurts and that's not full consent. So on that note, I'm just going to give you my advice on what to do as a sexually active person Again, I need to preface that I am not a doctor, I am not a professional, I am just a human being who has a podcast and opinions and an STI. I suggest all of you to get tested regularly. Again, you could do it at your annual physical. If you don't get an annual physical, which honestly, I haven't since I became an adult and had my own insurance because I don't have a primary care doctor. You can go to an Instacare. You can go to a Planned Parenthood. Maybe you should do it yearly. Maybe you could do it between every partner you have. But 
You should ask your partner, if you have a new sexual partner, what they would like and what they would feel most comfortable with. Either way, get tested, think about it, come up with your own plan as to how often and when you'll get tested. And be honest with your partners. I've heard a few stories from friends who have had HPV that they were really worried about telling somebody that they liked, and then they told them, and then that person was like, oh my gosh, I have HPV too. Not that that's going to happen every time, but if you're honest, again, your partner will thank you, and you can make informed decisions moving forward. It's all part of consent here. Thirdly, don't judge people who have STIs. It's just not cool. I've already said it a few times. Don't do it. Lastly, I want to address the using protection part of the whole STI conversation. A lot of the research I did for this episode talked about always using condoms, which is hard for me to see because that assumes that all sex is like a penis going into a hole, assuming that hole is a vagina, aka this is heterosex. And that's not always the case. Even if it is heterosex, there are other things that people do besides just put the P in the V. You have hands, you have toys, you have mouths, you have all sorts of creative things that people use. So if you can, you can absolutely use condoms, you can use dental dams and all those things. I'm not discouraging the use of condoms, dental dams, and female condoms, but I know that they're not the full solution. So be aware. I think you should be able to have a conversation similar to this <laughs> that I've been having with you with any person you're going to be sexual with. If you're going to be vulnerable in that physical sense, I think you should be able to be vulnerable in terms of your safety, in terms of your wants and your needs, and... If you can't talk about STIs before having sex with somebody, you probably shouldn't be having sex with them. You can refer back to my four points of consent episode. I believe it's episode three, but if it's not, I'm not perfect. So it's one of the first four episodes, I'm pretty sure. Thank you for listening to me monologue. I feel really passionate about this topic specifically. I hope that this episode has helped somebody think through some of these ideas and will help you moving forward with potential partners that you have. I need to thank, as always, my dear friend AJ for the intro music. I hope y'all like it. I'll let you in on a secret. It is exactly 15 seconds long. So if you ever just want to skip the intro music, which I do on basically every podcast I listen to, unless they're really catchy, like the Bechdel cast, they have a great intro music song. Mine is 15 seconds. So you can just press that 15 second skip if you want to get right to it. I meant to share that sooner, but you know, if you've listened to all 21 episodes now, here you go. You deserve some secrets of mine. I want to thank all the guests that I've had on this podcast so far. It's been really fun. Thanks to everyone who listens. If you like the show, share it, rate it on whatever platform you're listening on, and leave comments. Not one person has left a comment yet, and that's maybe because I haven't encouraged it. Though I'm doing this as part of a personal pandemic passion project, it would be fun to expand my reach a little bit more. So share, rate, leave a comment. You can follow me on Instagram. That Instagram page is going to be way cooler in like a month or two. Trust me, it's going to be awesome. 
like my dad always says, use your head and be clever. I'm going to include a clip of him saying it after I say goodbye because it always makes me happy and hopefully it makes you happy too. So, bye everyone. <laughs> I love you. Use your head, be clever.